there's always this voice in me that is like telling me I'm an imposter or telling me that um, I don't actually have anything to offer um, or that if I sit down and really try to write something, nothing will come. Welcome to The Resistance, a podcast that features honest discussion with meaningful artists about the opposing forces we all face when moving toward our better selves. I'm your host, Matt Connor. When we're talking about music, a deep cut is a term used to describe a song buried on an album, the sort of track that only serious fans would know anything about. When we're talking about The Resistance, on the other hand, Lauren Goins is describing a deep cut of a different kind. It's an injury that hits at such a personal level that it forces you to doubt who you are. A cut so deep, it uproots your identity. Together with her husband Daniel, Lauren makes music as Lowland Hum, a folk duo from Charlottesville, whose beautiful compositions settle into the same deep spaces we're already referencing. Lowland Hum's latest album, Glyphonic, is not only a sparse but satisfying listen, it's also filled with beautiful phrasing and pearls of wisdom that resonate with the listener long after the music is over. What's amazing about the duo's ability to craft music of such substance goes back to the resistance's ability to cut so deep. Lauren says for her, the battle is about not feeling like an imposter. There are days, she says, that she feels like an outsider, a pretender, someone who doesn't belong. Her core identity should be informing her work, yet it's the resistance that sometimes takes over and cripples her ability to do the very thing which she was created to do. What I love about this episode is that the go and struggle is one that we can all admit is familiar. We've all felt the voices of whether we really do belong in the spaces we inhabit or we want to inhabit. We've all heard the question asked loudly and directly, who are you? Fortunately for the sake of the band and the music, Lowland Hum has learned as a duo how to rely on each other to weather those periods of confusion. And that's our subject for today with Lowland Hum. Hello and welcome to The Resistance. We're in season one and today I have the distinct privilege of talking to Daniel and Lauren Goins. Together they are Lowland Hum. Uh, Welcome you guys. We appreciate you spending some time with us today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, We're hey, so Matt. glad to be here. It's, uh, it's wonderful to, to talk with you. Your music seems ideally suited for the kind of conversations that we've been enjoying throughout this first season so far. Um, but to get us going, I'd like to actually start the way that we've started every interview so far. Um, for those of you who are new to the podcast with this particular episode, um, The Resistance is inspired by the work of Stephen uh, Pressfield, who is a playwright and author, and specifically he wrote a pretty easy-to-read book for creative types uh, and artists called The War of Art. And um, both Daniel and Lauren, I'd love your sort of impromptu response to this. I'm just going to read a couple sentences as he defines resistance, and I'd love your take on it. Pressfield writes this, Most of us have two lives, the life we live and the unlived life within us. And between the two stands resistance. 
I guess I'd love to know now as you're putting out your fourth album here pretty soon um, and just this far into your career, what like your relationship with that idea of resistance and, and what it looks like today. I think something that I'm very familiar with uh, and experience almost in a daily way is uh, the distance between what I imagine and kind of dream of even for a day, what ends up unfolding. And so part of what the quote reminds me of is this, I don't know, this desire that I have to sink further into the present and find a gratitude for what is without losing my connection to kind of the wonderful possible. (laughs) Um, And I don't, always succeed at that but it's like a for me there's a lot of pain involved in what i don't know in kind of reaching out into unknown spaces and trying to create acknowledging all the longing that we experience and also to include the wonder that is present all around us and so i don't know that, that that's kind of where my my mind went um when you were reading the quote I think for me, um, I'm pretty new to what we do as Lola and Tom. I mean, I'm seven years in now, but um, I wasn't making music or writing songs before then. And uh, so there's always this voice in me that is like telling me I'm an imposter or telling me that um, I don't actually have anything to offer Mm -hmm. Um, or that if I sit down and really try to write something, nothing will come. I think a lot of the time, a lot of our time is spent doing things that aren't writing and creating songs because we're driving somewhere or we're doing emails or Daniel's helping book something. And it's a lot of administrative work and a lot of driving mostly, (laughs) Um, especially, (laughs) well, yeah, when we've been touring pretty heavily for the past six years, so lots of driving. Um, But I think during those times, I'm often thinking about like, uh, if when we have time, will I have the courage to, uh, try to create something? Um, and I, I think this album that we're about to release, uh, was a really encouraging time for me where I felt like, yes, I'm doing the thing that I'm supposed to be doing. And there are hiccups and there are barriers and challenges, but I feel, um, I feel like just in the faithfulness of setting aside time to do them, um, good things were coming from that. And, and so I, that's kind of where my mind goes uh, when hearing that excerpt. In, in what ways, you know, you, you mentioned the forthcoming album as, as sort of maybe a, a, an answer to some of those things. Can, can you, um, can you quantify that? Um, I think on our first several albums, writing was really scary for me because I, I think I've often battled the lie that I don't have anything of value to say. I don't know if that comes from being a woman raised in, um, the culture that we live in that is definitely getting better about those messages. But, um, I think the writing process was just a lot scarier in the past. And this time around, um, both in the writing process and in the arranging and recording process, I felt like, oh yeah, this is my job and I'm doing my job. And 
that was kind of a big breakthrough for me for it to not feel so riddled with doubt, but instead just like, this is what I do. We've been doing this for seven years and I'm doing it now. Um, yeah. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. It, it makes me curious about the role of community. I mean, and, and you guys occupy kind of a different you know, there, you could be a solo artist or in a band and, and you guys occupy this sort of rare territory of being a couple who's also a, a band. It, it, it makes me wonder about the role of like what Daniel provides and, and maybe Daniel for you too, what Lauren provides like to the, to the places where resistant, uh, where resistance is most prevalent for you, hmm. what it, what it means to not be solo in that, but what but what community either provides for that and maybe in a negative way too, but, but, or in a positive way. Yeah. I think, um, I think for me, um, it's been totally invaluable to have Lauren, um, kind of wade into, I mean, our creative process is incredibly, uh, collaborative even down to we kind of like when one of us starts to get momentum on a song or an idea, we actually kind of try to stop the momentum um, and then pass that partially formed idea to the other person so that the influencing comes from both of us right from the get go. Um, and I think, I do think that Lauren appreciating my instincts has led to um, both her loving me as a person, uh, but also her appreciating my instincts musically and lyrically has been really exciting. I mean, I guess you could, I mean, I think it'd be totally possible to really love someone, uh, but have very different creative instincts if you're both artists and that not to mean that not to really mess up your marriage necessarily, but it would just mean, if you tried to write a song together, you would, you might adamantly disagree and both make valid <laughs> points and be like, this is really frustrating for, for us, for whatever reason, that is not our experience. Um, we tend to, uh, admire each other's instincts and enjoy each other's instincts. And I think because of that, um, I've felt, um, like there are less limitations on where I could go. And in fact, I, starting about two years ago, I started making up songs on the spot at our shows um, about any memory I have or anything that gets stirred up. And I, I don't think that would have been possible had Lauren not experiencing me doing that. Sometimes I can sing what I mean uh, better than I can say it. So occasionally when we'd been on tour and I was in a weird place, I would be able to kind of sing something to Lauren that would help her get into, get closer to me in those weird moments. I'm kind of a weird guy. Um, and anyway, uh, so I, I have felt like some of the parts of me that might have embarrassed me at other times in my life in this context have been appreciated and enjoyed. And I think that's been healing uh, and allowed for, uh, more experimentation from my end. I think for me, I I wouldn't be doing any of this if Daniel hadn't kind of recognized some potential in me and um, 
both invited me into what he was doing very humbly when I had no experience and he'd been doing it for about seven years or maybe eight years before that. Um, and also just challenged me in a loving way to explore what gifts I might have that I didn't know I had. And, um, so really, I mean, I'd always loved singing, but I would never have sought out like a recording project or a performance project. And Daniel kind of just invited me to sing on some songs he was recording, just some harmonies. And then we started performing together, which was very scary to me, but all of that would not have unfolded if he hadn't asked me and, and really encouraged me to push myself. Um, and then with songwriting too, he just said, I think based on the way you phrase things in conversation, you might be a songwriter. Would you be willing to try writing a song sometime? Which also was terrifying to me. Um, <laughs> so really I'm absolutely Daniel, the role of Daniel, um, in all of this and of c- the community of our marriage, um, has played a huge role in, pushing against uh, the lies and ideas that I held before and still battle um, that would keep me from exploring these things. Hmm. Uh, Daniel, I want to go back to something you said, these, these impromptu songs. Can, can you define those? Like, what, like, like, what do you mean by that? Do you mean like during sound check or do you mean like during an actual? No, like, uh, well now, like during the show, like for instance, sometimes when we're singing a song, some some memory from childhood will surface. Um, or just, sometimes something will happen in the room. Yeah, or sometimes something will happen in the room too. The crowd will do something or or something just feels a certain way in the room or I don't know, something stirs an idea in my mind. And, and what I try to do is I just kind of like start with that idea and it feels a little like I'm just leaning forward and then sort of running down a hill into the dark. Mm-hmm. And I just start singing uh, whatever comes to me. And, um, sometimes it can be very, uh, embarrassingly personal, uh, or it might just be silly or it might be something that's funny, sometimes only funny to me. Um, (laughs) but anyway, it's just a kind of way, uh, and sometimes it's very profound, I think. And, and, um, yeah, I mean, there are de- there are definitely the, sh- the shows that happen when, you know, someone comes up afterward and says, I'm so glad Daniel sang that thing about that thing because it reminded me of this thing in my life. And I don't, I don't know, it, it sometimes gets to a really serious place. But then, yeah, sometimes they are really lighthearted and funny. And even those have a certain weightiness to them because of uh, there's something magical about uh, something unfolding in real time and literally no one in the room knows where it's going to go. And we're all experiencing it together. Daniel included for the first time. Oh. That's just, it's a really beautiful thing. I'm really thankful for his extemporaneous songs. <laughs> Can you help me? I just want to understand this a little bit further. How often does this happen? Is this, is this an every show occurrence? Well, it, mostly it, right? it has been happening almost every show now. Um, I, it depends on, um, if nothing comes to me, I don't, I just don't do it. Um, because I kind of couldn't do it. Uh, if nothing, it's like, I don't know. It's like, there has to be, it's like, I can tell a few times during a show usually that I could start a song right now. So I kind of look at Lauren and then I just try to just feel out if it's the right thing. And I think different audiences make those possible to, 
to larger degrees, or sometimes I think an audience could make it impossible. Um, but maybe by doing that, my discomfort would generate another path that could take. If that makes sense. They really are just extemporaneous. So occasionally, um, I'm, I'm like, sometimes I'll try to play something I've never played and sing something I've never sung like melody wise. Um, but a lot of times it's not very, it's not premeditated at all. Like not the music or the, um, or, or the subject matter. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Wait, so is this, I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to understand the mechanics of the way this works. Yeah, yeah. Is this like, do you, do you have like a moment in the set list where, you know, like, you know, to look at each other and go like, this is the space that we've allowed that if there is something extemporaneous, here's where you're going to do it. Or no, is it it's not like that? It's actually just like, whenever it comes, I just kind of sometimes briefly even, glance. Like, sometimes I don't even, song. yeah, sometimes in a song, I'll just start doing it. And then Lauren kind of just steps back and sort of waits. <laughs> and it's like, uh, um, but I, we've, we've had lots of conversations about it between the two of us. And she's just kind of like, you need to follow your instincts there. And occasionally she'll, she'll kind of say, I don't think right now is a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, for different reasons, but yeah, I mean, an example is we just played at the Philadelphia Museum of Art um, two weeks ago, and being in that space, we felt really honored and inspired. But it also took me back to when I was nine years old, and my grandparents took me to the British Museum, and my grandfather really loved that. My instinct was to to ask our tour guide whether the Rosetta Stone was the genuine article, and those were the <laughs> words I used. Um, <laughs> Or it might have been the Magna Carta. But anyway, that memory surfaced. So I just kind of sang to the audience about that memory. Um, you know, one of the rare times when I was a kid when I felt this kind of gravity of being in a museum, but also wanting to make sure it was legit. <laughs> but I was nine. So I was like, I didn't know the British Museum was legit. I just thought, oh, I got to ask, you know. Um and my grand, it just meant like, for some reason that meant the world to my granddad. He thought that was like the best, you know? Um, so I sang that to the audience and I don't know if they, in that context, uh, I don't know if they understood that that was not a song of ours. Yeah. I but think sometimes people don't realize that he's making something up and they're kind of going to ask if you, yeah. <laughs> but also I think when people are tuned in, they can usually tell and, and, uh, sometimes, sometimes twice in a, in a show, Daniel will do it. So people kind of, uh, by the second time around, at least know, Oh, this is unplanned. What is this? It's happening, you know? Um, but that's become a pretty, that's become a, a somewhat of a fixture of our performances now. And I didn't even know that I could do that. Um, and I don't think I would have uh, without our, you know, this collaboration happening. I, 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 this whole idea of the of the uh, sort of the spontaneous song. I, I have a couple more questions here because, uh, like, what's the most surprised uh, that you've been out of an experience like that? Do you like? Does anything come to mind when I ask that? <laughs> yeah, a couple things do. Do you want to say, Daniel? Yeah, there's this one time. So. Um, two things come to mind. I'll tell the first one briefly. Um, I'll tell them both briefly if I can. Basically, the first <laughs> the first thing that came to mind was we played this show in St. Louis, 
And Lauren and I had had trouble getting along during the day on the way to the show. And I just, um, saying what I thought I did wrong, um, to the audience, which I didn't like, it wasn't planned. So I sang it and then I turned really red and I started sweating a lot (laughs) because I was like, Whoa, that was crazy. But it's just, um, the more I do that, it's like sort of the less, um, inhibited. I don't mean like I'm so uninhibited. I just mean like I, there's not time between when the thought occurs and when it comes out of my mouth when I'm doing that. So it just, it just came out. Um, and so I was kind of embarrassed and I was sort of like, after the show, I was like, Lauren, I'm sorry that I did that. Cause it was a bigger show cause we were opening for somebody. And, um, I'm, I'm sure I had no, objection. no. And you were like, no, it was fine. It's fine. And then <laughs> a few, a few men came up to me and said that that somehow helped them be honest about how they had intimidated their wives or whatever, you know, whatever it was about, you know, wherever they were in their relationship. Um, and two, two men like grown men that were probably maybe 50 or so hugged me. So that (laughs) was very unusual. I mean, that just, that doesn't normally happen, you know, a stranger hugging me like that, but, um, (laughs) that experience was really interesting. And then the other thing that comes to mind is, is more silly, but, there was a show in Atlanta we did uh, about a year ago and I started doing this extemporaneous song and I was like, sort of, sometimes it's like an imagination thing. Like I, I sort of picture some experience that I've never had. And then I just start describing it and kind of making it up. Like I'm making up a story or something. And basically I just had set this scene that I was in the woods and there were these different details about the woods. And then the crowd right from the first note I played started clapping along like really boisterously, which is that's definitely never happened during one of these (laughs) because I don't even know where it's going. So I'm kind of like, yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know if the energy of it would change or whatever, but they start clapping. And so then I set the scene and then they start yelling out details. So then, (laughs) so then it's like, they're choosing, it's like, we're writing this song all together. And this was another scenario where we were opening. So the audience was much larger than, um, one of our regular shows and they're just yelling stuff out. And so eventually we had like built this whole scene where there were bears playing on a, a, a <laughs> the wreck of a plane in the, in the woods. And then the <laughs> bears were not in competition, but they all became friends. And then at the end of it, I yelled out, it's a bear revolution, which really surprised <laughs> me. And then the crowd cheered louder than probably any cheer we've ever had. Insane! It was How do you so not for definitely. bear revolution? <laughs> And then like the band that we're opening for had run up from the green room and they're like, what are y'all doing up here? Like, is this a show? Like what song, what are you doing? You know? And we were both, we were both kind of very shocked by that whole experience. And, and I think also it was such a delight. I didn't even feel like I was doing anything. I just felt, I was just laughing. I was like, while I was singing it, I was just dying laughing because um, it felt like it had very little to do with me at all. I just thought something is happening and I'm there somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that was, that's another one that's, that yeah. stands out. That's the main one that comes to my mind when thinking about <laughs> something that was surprising, just how quickly everyone got on board and um, how it just felt like this thing that we were all a part of that none of us really uh, 
at the end of it, it felt like everyone in the room was kind of proud of themselves or something <laughs> and of each other. There was like no way for anyone to feel like they had full ownership over this wonderful thing that we all just enjoyed. But everyone still played like a big part in it. Um, it was it was really cool. <laughs> I would. Lo- By the way, I think I think probably a number of people would buy a Bear Revolution T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> They'd all be in Atlanta. Yeah. <laughs> no one else would care. Or maybe, maybe listeners to the podcast would. would yeah, maybe. I'm in. Maybe. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> I, I, you know, the reason that I'm so drawn to this particular topic and why we kind of ran down this rabbit trail, you know, we're talking about resistance and that sounds like such a, that sounds like the kind of place where resistance would stop something beautiful from happening. Like the fear of, gosh, not only is this thing not practiced, it's not even known. And to put yourself out there in such a way that I would assume to be vulnerable, challenging, uh, unexpected, like those are all things that keep us from stepping out. And yet you're talking about creating these beautiful moments of connection with people that like, you know, at least in Atlanta, like let's all cheer ourselves for this (laughs) you know, for the shared beautiful moment where we conquered any level of resistance that, that could have prevented that. Do you think that kind of exercise now that you're doing it on a, on a semi-regular basis, like, does that help you with resistance overall just to kind of give in to like, Hey, I'm, I'm used to kind of giving myself over to the vulnerable. I think I do feel freer. Um, in certain ways, for sure. And I think on this new record, uh, actually the writing, actually one song that I uh, wrote in this way, kind of in a just an extemporaneous way, um, ended up on the record because Lauren was like, I think that, I think that, anyway, she just thought we should include it in the record. So mm. we ended up including this song that I wrote after I hung out with a friend of mine and um and then i just sang this thing and lauren happened to capture it on the phone so we had we had it and then i just re re-sang it um for the record um so anyway i i think it i think it has freed me up i mean the truth is and i've said this before but the truth is that um most things that we think uh really aren't profound or necessarily even very interesting um and singing some of those things in front of people in a context where you're supposed to be, um, maybe not supposed to be, but where it's so, somewhat expected that you be impressive or that you do something amazing. You know, people bought a ticket to this or whatever. I think something about that has been really freeing and it's helped me to bring more of myself to the shows. Yeah, um, I, if I can just jump in real quick, I think uh, I've noticed in Daniel since he began doing this. Uh, that he does that more more of who he is 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 shown on stage I think um, and it that doesn't mean like it is still very vulnerable every time he does yeah. it and um, I think people assume that if you're willing to do something like that it's not scary to you or you're not at risk of being hurt or embarrassed but he definitely still is it's it's very vulnerable every time um, but I think I've I don't know. I, I, you seem, you've always been pretty comfortable on stage. Um, definitely more so than I have, but I do think that you've, you've, uh, you bring 
something different is coming from you on the stage than before you were doing these songs, I think. I think we tour very heavily and I think um, the challenge to playing so many shows a year, one of the challenges is that it's hard to be present in each show and it's hard not to um, just try to get through it sometimes when you're playing. We we sometimes play 10 months of the year um, wow. and we're trying to not do that as much because we don't think it's very healthy, but um, something about the extemporaneous songs has helped me realize that no even though we played four other nights or five other nights this week this is a room of people that may never be together again we we're our lives are crossing at this one unrepeatable point and it sometimes helps me realize what an honor it is or what a what a special thing it is ever to perform for anyone I, I wanted to give a, a little bit of time to um, to what you guys are sort of the genesis of of what you call the support quiet music movement. Can like for those who haven't heard of that, can you define that? Yeah, I think for us, um, it was just an idea that came to me one night before I fell asleep, and somehow I magically remembered it when I woke up in the morning. <laughs> um, but it's just the idea of. Um, I guess, uh, encouraging people to support the quiet music that they love. I mean, it's, it's, it's born out of our own experience of it being very easy for quiet music to be covered up by bar noise or chatter. Um, it's in some ways literally does need a little more care for it to be heard. Um, and a little bit more of a set aside space or attitude for it to not be drowned out by things. Um, but also just uh, in the current cultural moment and maybe all cultural moments, things that are loud and exciting, tend there just tends to be more demand for that. And um, so I guess the idea behind the campaign is just to encourage people to um, kind of go a little bit the extra mile in encouraging the artists whose quiet music they love whether that's like just encouraging them with an email or buying tickets to their shows um, or buying their music or spreading the word about them to their friends. It's just the idea of like gathering around the artists you love who make quiet music and um, helping their music be heard and helping uh, facilitate spaces for their music to be heard. So it's not um, drowned out. Yeah. And I think many of the emerging bands that are really, um, well, much of like how the music, how music is spread, especially when it's, when it's kind of emerging artists, um, it's all based on hype. And so depending on the kind of music you make, um, it's sort of like, I mean, the kind of stuff that we're thinking of is not necessarily just our music, but it's sort of like music that's kind of anti-hype. It's sort of like music that's going the opposite direction of that. And so our, I think our hope is that people would realize that there is a direction that most music that, you know, gets that most bands that have certain opportunities, they have a lot of things in common and bands that don't, don't have those things sometimes um, need creative support. That would be different than kind of these more traditional, I don't know, like we think about like our agent often says, 
to us, I mean, this is kind of, uh, well, no, this is fine. Sometimes our agent <laughs> says to us like, Hey, the people at these certain festivals really like, uh, the songwriting and really like your live show, but they're not going to book you. And it has to do with, um, what works for the, what's the festival sound and stuff like that. And the fact that there is a festival sound, um, that is even pretty rambunctious, rambunctious and, and sort of loud and sort of high octane, even for folk festivals all around the country. It just, it just signifies to us that, um, maybe people aren't aware of the fact that, that, uh, the kind of music, um, that we would identify as quiet music might need uh, a different, uh, a different kind of attention or a different, even different actions. I don't, we don't, we don't know yet. We hope that this, you know, we hope this is uh, a gift to lots of bands. We really weren't, we kind of weren't even thinking about our band in particular. We just yeah. were thinking about lots of friends we have and just how much good music there is out there. That's not um, getting in front of as many people because it's, it's not as maybe marketable or or theatrical, yeah, or, you know, whatever. yeah. But how how important it is though that I mean to us, of course, we would be saying this, but uh, I think quiet is very important. I think people, I think it's good for people to have space in their lives for um, emotions that aren't just like a hundred percent wow or a hundred percent crazy. Or like, it's Friday night, son. <laughs> it's like <laughs> I, th- I think most people's experiences are not that way all the time so i think it's good for our culture to have some music that's representative of other other levels of hype or non-hype um i don't know if if all of that made sense but those are some ideas behind it you've been listening to the resistance if you've enjoyed this episode please rate us on itunes and subscribe on your favorite podcast app And for more information and further episodes, you can find us at listentotheresistance.com. Our theme is composed by Chad Howitt. Engineering, production, and additional music by Jay Kirkpatrick. My name is Matt Connor, and I'm your host. Join us for our next episode with singer-songwriter Dennison Whitmer.